ago, when Bengaluru FC embarked on their journey to North Korea, not many knew what to expect. So one man decided to travel all the way to Pyongyang with them. So did he find an answer to all his questions? Well, let's just find out. Hello guys and welcome to a brand new episode of Injury Time, a football podcast that takes a closer look at the beautiful game in India. Well, it's been quite a week for Indian football. Bengaluru FC were in North Korea for the AFC Cup game and the Under-17 World Cup which is just a few weeks out away is running into trouble. Well, all of that and more on this episode and I've been joined by two special guests. One chap who's covered the length and breadth of Korea, both North and South, Mihir. Hello, Mihir. Hi, Naveen. What's up? Yeah, you're back from North Korea this time round. Yeah, yeah. What an unbelievable trip for all of us. Exactly. We'll get ba- get to that pretty soon. And our other guest, the guy who's known for the Twitter handle he, he runs, one-stop shop for all your Indian football needs. Uh, yes, guys, I'm talking about Football News India and the man behind him, Uni. Hello, Uni. Hello, Naveen. Thank you for inviting me for the Injury Time podcast. It's a great pleasure to have having you here. Guys, uh, so without wasting much of time, let's get cracking. First of all, we go straight to North Korea and the news from North Korea and our correspondent from North Korea, Mihir. How was it? <laughs> like, sh- should I be uh, calling it North Korea or should I be calling it DPR Korea? What what should it be? Well, we, can, we are in India, so we can call whatever the hell we want. We can call it the land of the rocket man for all we care. <laughs> well, that's how it's panning out to be. Yeah. Uh, but so, so the locals there prefer, prefer that we call it DPR Korea or DPRK. Uh-huh. Uh, the moment you mention North Korea, uh, they'll just stop you there, and that's the only time they're they're rude. Uh-huh. Because the local locals are pretty polite wherever we talk to them. But it was it was, I mean, to to say it was an unbelievable experience for all of us, not just for me, even for the players. You know, when you talk to them, I think that would be a very very big understatement. I mean, from the time we landed there, you know, when when we we took the flight from Beijing uh, to Pyongyang. Uh, I mean, we all try to keep try to keep a very open mind. But the moment we land there, uh, I mean, we get to know that you know the, the things they talk about North Korea are actually what they are. I mean, uh, at the immigration line, there is this lady who just comes to me, and I think it was Tony uh, Antonio Dovale next to me and Eric. Uh, so she just comes, walks up to the three of us, and she puts out her hand. And just tells us to to submit our passports and mobile phones, and she takes that and she just disappears into a room. Pretty strange, I see. Yeah, and then then there's there's this big giant guy with a very very serious face. He comes, he hands over a form to us, which is basically an immigration form, but it's a very detailed immigration form where we have to write whatever is there in the bag, and below that is a disclaimer, which basically says that. Any false declaration will will lead to a punishment according to North Korean laws. <laughs> now, now they don't say what the laws are, so it's left pretty vague. So we don't know if it will be just a slap on our face or 15 years of hard labor. So, so we are all kind of freaked out there already. And we land at four o'clock, and till seven o'clock we are just at the airport, getting our bags screened, getting our mobile phones, laptops, camera, everything screened. And thankfully, 14 bags haven't arrived. Okay. I say thankfully because if, if those 14 bags would have arrived, perhaps we would have stayed the entire night at the airport. But I think that's one reason why not many flights land in North Korea, isn't it? 
Yeah, just uh, three flights per day. I mean, I mean it's, it's pretty crazy. So when, uh, yeah, me and no, only was only was saying something. No, no, I was just uh, uh just remarked that that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, so finally, you know, we we are at the airport. We have done our immigration. We are waiting for some information on the missing bags, and and. Half of the team, like including Sunil and and uh, the foreign players, all the Spanish players, and all all of the players. I mean, even Gurpreet has Gurpreet's bag wasn't there. Uh, most of the players didn't get their bags, and we are waiting for some information, right? And we are waiting there. Suddenly, it's around 6:30, and the entire airport goes dark. And uh, I mean, it's not an electricity cut. It's just that the shift of all the guys who are working at the airport is over. And the last flight has landed. The last flight is out of the country, and there's no work for them over there. So they just switch off the entire airport. The entire airport is dark. There's just one man in the military uniform, watching a TV which has Kim Jong Un on it, and there is a revolutionary music playing. Oh. And next to us in the arrivals hall is this photo collage of missiles being launched and missiles being paraded across the city. And we are 26 of us. Trying to figure out where we have landed and what do we do. Uh, we reach the hotel and finally all formalities are over by nine o'clock in the night. We get go to our rooms. I mean, imagine the stress the players have been under because I think they had a they had a flight from Bangalore to Bombay on Sunday okay. at eight p.m. So they all would have I guess left around five five thirty in the evening, and till Monday Monday night nine o'clock they haven't rested. Uh, I mean, finally Monday is over. It's, it's a new morning, Tuesday. Uh, I mean, there is still no news of the missing baggage. So the players and and a few other guys from the co-management, I mean, the support staff, uh, they managed to go to a a a, a, part, a sports uh, sports showroom just just near our hotel. And it's unbelievable that a pair of shoes that will cost us sixty dollars in India. Is being sold at one seventy-five dollars. My God! And they have no other option but to buy those. So they end up buying six pair of shoes for around nine hundred dollars or something like that. Yes. And I checked with the players about the quality, and it's just one-time wear. Yeah. Uh, That's like nine hundred dollars down the drain. <laughs> yeah, nine hundred dollars for one training session. Uh, still, I mean, obviously they have to prepare. They try to focus, okay. and uh, just a couple of hours before the training session, they realize they don't have practice. They don't have balls to practice okay. because all the balls are in the uh, in the bags which are lying somewhere in the airport. So the manager of the team requests uh, the 4.25 staff to arrange for some balls, and they initially they say that they can't arrange anything, and. No one knows whether they'll be able to practice or not. So it's match day minus one, and the players are not just thinking about you know the the match which they need to ensure that they don't lose by three goals or so, but they're also thinking about their missing baggage. They're thinking about their shoes. They're thinking about the footballs. They're thinking about North Korea. They're thinking about the restrictions that are on them. They're thinking about the missiles. they're thinking about the food that is being served to them in the hotel and it's just i mean i was stressed out 
just thinking and just imagining how would how can they really perform the next day uh somehow the 4.25 guys you know they managed to get four balls so the 20 players share four balls between them and they have a decent kick about in the stadium uh the stadium itself is incredible i mean we talk about all the negative things about north korea but i guess uh we all can learn a thing about thing or two about you know having a good stadium there it's an incredible facility i mean forget the fact that it's 150000 seater but the way it's maintained uh, the the surface is pathetic we'll come to that later when we talk about the match but the way they just handled the whole thing you know i mean 4.25 is a small club compared to what we see generally in asia or even in india but they apparently according to one of the team guys they have 20 teams right from under 8 to the senior teams oh. and they have and they have 10 playing their 10 playing fields okay within the stadium itself within the stadium itself there are four practice grounds okay and it's just incredible the facility pretty well planned facility is it yeah 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 but okay. amir you spoke about the stress that players and you who who was in pyongyang were going through during this period but back home in india also only coming to you we knew there would be no telecast we knew getting news out of pyongyang would be difficult and twitter just went crazy isn't it how how do how do the twitter react uh it was pretty interesting so that uh, that day when i caught up the first thing i did was like uh, check about the internet connectivity in uh, north korea to see whether there is any possibility so uh, it almost become apparent to me that uh, there is isn't going to be a telecast because i saw the kind of conditions restrictions internet has and things like that and uh, during the match i mean a lot of bangalore fc fans were around they were like uh, looking for updates and then couple of updates come through from the bangalore fc handle and they were like okay and uh, there were some other uh, people too engaging on twitter and uh, it looks like couple of them were bookies who were just looking around for some information <laughs> and uh, yeah i i didn't <laughs> so i i don't want to engage them but uh, so bangalore fc put out one tweet and one of them just uh, called out that telling that look the update is from bangalore so then uh, after that bfc uh, put out a tweet telling that okay uh, we have to send updates from uh, bangalore not uh, from there because there is a blackout over there and uh, i was simultaneously trying to find out information from the afc match center so they had a you know uh, ticker going on and the since there were no goals uh, it pretty much uh, uh, was perfect because i could manage the time and some of these people on twitter was pretty damn sure that even afc can't get results out from north korea they oh, were like okay. they are just perfect <laughs> 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 well they would have thought afc is bluffing for all you know ratify that uh, whether they were having any internet connection or not because no goals were scored um then uh, suddenly in the first half uh, bfc sent one tweet and the next tweet was came after like 15 minutes or something so the fans expressing concern whether the team was doing okay what are they doing 
Yeah, it was a pretty intense situation actually. Well, that about in India, but in Pyongyang, me, how did the match pan out? None of us watched it. You were one of the lucky persons, I would say, who got to watch, witness both the team in action in Pyongyang. Could you just take us through the game? Uh, it's a miracle how Bangalore did lose that match. Uh, you know, I mean, from the first minute. I mean, uh, I wasn't sitting in the stands. I I had a camera and I was on the on the pitch side. I was standing behind. First half, I was standing behind the North Korean goal, and uh, the second half, I was standing behind Gurpreet, and it was ridiculous at the pace at which 4.25 were playing. I mean, it just looked like that guzzled the entire fuel that's available in North Korea, <laughs> and they were running up and down, up and down, up and down throughout. Uh, they are so quick. They are technically so sharp. It was unbelievable. So, so the problem actually. There were there were a couple of problems here. Uh, a, the the Bangalore FC players could not adjust to the to the ground conditions. Now the pitch there was an artificial surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't in a very good condition. So so it was a rubber surface, and you could see the so the black layer beneath the surface. Oh okay. So and it was extremely hard. Right. So the players uh, were always taking an extra touch to control the ball, and that extra touch allowed some. Two North Korean players to directly, you know, just come and cut to to just mark out the player uh, who who had the ball, who had the position. Uh, so they were always hurried. They were never at peace, or they were never able to peacefully pass the ball around, or really, you know, get themselves into the match. Uh, the first half was pretty much okay. Like both sides did not have that many good chances. But second half, I've never seen a team attack for. The entire 45 minutes. Bangalore FC literally were—I mean, all 11 players were inside their 25-yard or 30-yard line. If you just draw an imaginary line there and imagine where 30 yards is, right. uh, and they are all within that limit. And apart from, I can't think of more than one minute in total in the second half that they spent—that uh, they spent, you know. In in the in their half in North Korea uh, in the North Korean team's half, Gurpreet pulled off some amazing saves, uh, but it's it's just amazing that how it's 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 incredible how North Korea did not score and that's what the coach said that's what the players said as well after the match. Well, just incredible that not the North Korean side couldn't score and Gurpreet also pulled off uh, pulled off a penalty save isn't it? How did that yes. uh, come about? So so basically. Uh, The the 4.25 had I if I recollect properly they had five really good chances. Uh, one they missed almost from two yards out in an open goal. Gurpreet was stranded near the far post, and at the opposite end there was a striker who just had to tap the ball in, but it hit his knee, and it just went agonizing. It just centimeters wide from the post. And there was no one standing in front of him, so he could have just afforded to take a, a extra touch and just tap it in again. So that was one very very easy chance they missed. But there were three really good saves that Gurpreet made. One was a very very good diving. Uh, I mean, he just stretched completely to his left in the air and he saved this header. Uh, from I guess uh, just let me check my notes. Uh, yeah, from from uh, Kim Yoo Sung. I mean, it was it was somewhere in the in the 50th or 55th minute. Uh, then second time again, they I mean, 
so they were very quick through the center uh, the right back uh, the right back his name was kwon chong gyok he was extremely quick and what he basically did was he just ran through the right up and down up and down and he just took out of i mean he took away the entire bangalore fc flank for a for a toss i mean he just could did not give them any time or space and and even the bangalore fc look players looked tired because of all the travel and all whatever happened what was happening so after 60 minutes they were looking tired and these guys were just running so uh, york was constantly creating nuisance from the right flank and in the center they had their uh, the midfielder ri yongjin who was just i mean with his with his strong physique and all uh he was taking tony out of equation on a number of oh, equation now okay. tony is technically very good but he comes across as a very fragile player i mean you can easily knock him off uh-huh. a, a, a bit like what jackie chan perhaps is oh right uh, if you take in that context and uh up front song had many chances but he just couldn't convert any of them gurpreet eventually was the saving grace i mean if if you know he wasn't there Then Bangalore would have lost by three or four goals, and that would have been the tie for it. Oh, okay. Was, yeah. But, that, but uh, does this also say a thing or two about the Bangalore defense? Because you just said if Gurpreet was not there, the team would have ended up scoring, uh, conceding three or four. What does it say about the defense? Uh, I I wouldn't just blame it on the defense to be honest, because uh, their midfield was completely non non-existent. They oh, they really okay. couldn't stamp any authority. Uh, Sunil was outmarked. I mean, Sunil couldn't do. You usually see Sunil, you know, at least try a certain things, try yeah. to at least hold up the play up front or oh. try to do his things, but he couldn't do anything. Uh, very frankly, uh, 4.25 were technically much superior than Bengaluru FC. Okay. And it, I mean, if if we look back, uh, the rain in the first leg mm-hmm. really really came as a survivor. I mean, it rescued cool. Bangalore FC because. because because of the weather conditions they couldn't oh no 4.25 couldn't play that natural game they're not used to playing on a natural surface as well right so so the conditions so bangalore actually took took advantage of their home conditions which 4.25 couldn't and right. that ultimately was a decisive factor absolutely like i think that rain played a really decisive factor because like uh, mihir you mentioned the wingers even in the first half here in bangalore in the first leg those wingers really created a lot of nuisance for the bengaluru defense but here playing at home and minus all the fatigue that comes along with traveling abroad especially when you're traveling to a country like north korea the team looked much fitter the team looked much fresher they could hold up play but i think that also worked against them when, when they traveled to pyongyang isn't it yeah 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 uh, but i mean like i said i mean it it's just you can't you can't take one factor of the game or one part of the game and analyze it i mean you have to look it at a, as a whole and yeah. and as a whole bangalore fc did not have a great game it wasn't just the defense or it wasn't just the yeah. midfield i mean apart from gurpreet the 10 other players had a very very mediocre game okay. and uh, the good thing is that all the players acknowledged they had a very poor game like i was talking to eric the next morning at the breakfast and i just asked him uh, are you sore uh, from last night and he said no i still see 4.25 defenders running around me oh okay <laughs> so running rings around him probably yeah so that's the kind of impact those players left on bengaluru as well um, 
that's a good thing i mean so the bangalore players are not arrogant or overconfident with this with this win Absolutely. they knew that they were the second best side on that day mm. which perhaps also makes them a bit cautious going into the match against dushan uh, and bin tajikistan uh, and and perhaps that can work in their favor i mean if if they're not overconfident they realize that they really need to work on certain things uh, i guess it's it's only a good thing over there well uh, next they are up against the uh, runners up from the 2015 edition a team that lo- lost to johor darul takzim in the final we uh, all we can do is hope that we have an exciting encounter first leg will be an away leg for bengaluru fc when they travel down to tajikistan and the second one in bengaluru we'll get you more on that as and when we approach the match day but there are news coming in from kochi this time around on isn't it and this is relating to the under 17 fifa world cup which is a few weeks away okay? uh so basically what's unfolding in kochi is uh, something really unfortunate uh, so the kalur stadium in kochi houses some shops um i think uh, there are more than 40 odd shops which includes uh, uh some cafes some government uh, offices i heard also there are a couple of um, you know it companies i heard then oh, okay inside the stadium complex yeah so warehouses and things like that so uh, fifa at the outset was like very uh, strict about this they they wanted things to i mean these shops to close down especially um, you know places like cafes which use inflammable materials like lpg and there were godowns i heard of for some lubricants and things like that so uh, so they were particular about you know closing down but i think the kochi stadium is actually owned by uh, an autonomous authority called gcda which is like an organization that has been built up uh, to for the development i mean conducting all kind of uh, infrastructure development activities for kochi so this is uh, you know there is a lot of politics going on they drag their feet and i think the government's attention also was not completely into this project uh, so so they also failed to intervene and sort this out and then eventually when the time came um, the shopkeepers went to the high court and got a stay for the order which gcda had uh, produced uh, to for them to close down the shops starting from september 15th and uh, the the matter went to the court and the court asked uh, i mean who's going to pay uh, you know uh, these people uh, the damages if they have to close down and uh, why and they also accused the government not accused i mean they, they also told that the government did not take an active interest in you know sorting out the issue uh, so right now what i heard is there was a last hearing which is uh, supposed to happen today and uh, the court was supposed to uh, you know mandate uh, a certain amount of money that this particular organization called gcda will um, you know uh they will acquire that fund and they will provide it as compensation for these people is what uh, uh last i heard and read about it but there has not been a decision on how much that fund should be so right now what does this cost us because because of these these issues the stadium was supposed to hand over to fifa on 15th but that did not happen then it got shifted to 18th that is today i mean yesterday but that also did not happen and i 
heard that they are waiting for the court, which apparently is going to come out with some kind of uh, settlement tomorrow, uh, that is on Tuesday. And once that comes out, they will decide on a further date where they can actually transfer the stadium to the um, yeah, to the LOC. So that's pretty much uh, what is happening over there. It's a mess. I mean, I think it's an organizational mess. Nobody attended to it. And um, if if you look at it from from the uh, you know shopkeepers perspective they are correct too because uh, you can't just go and tell somebody to just stop uh, working uh, all of a sudden so i mean they should have charted out a you know process or whatever behind it and uh, they did not get that done and it was in a complete mess now but eventually i feel the government will step in and sort uh, this out because uh, at the last minute, if the World Cup is going to go from there to some other place, it's going to be a big uh, disaster for the government as well. So I think they will take some interest and get some uh, something sorted out. But only there are like two things here, right? I mean, uh, there has always been this conspiracy theory floating around that, uh, you know, at some level, the central government wants Ahmedabad to be one of the venues and Kochi obviously was an easy target. To, to, be, to, be, to be dropped because of the yeah, problems yeah. over there. Mm-hmm. And there is also this other thing where, where Avia Chepi uh, has said that we don't mind going ahead with five venues. That's yes. what, uh, yes, that's yes. what uh, Hemi or Yarzad also said. Now, yes. with those two possibilities looming, do you think uh, Kochi might, uh, might be dropped as one of the venues? Is that the genuine concern in Kerala right now? Um, so, right now, uh, so there is a nodal officer which the Kerala government has appointed to, you know, oversee all this uh, renovations and things like that. He is pretty confident. He is telling that, uh, he, he even denied that FIFA issued an ultimatum to them. Uh, so, he's like, <laughs> I mean, uh, he... Uh, there was a scrolling piece of news going on in a Malayalam channel about this, telling that he has denied it. So, um, but if... I think it, it's going to be a big disaster for the government, so they, they're going to try their best, uh, I guess, to get it done there. Um, at this moment, I mean, a lot of work has been done, I know that. Uh, I mean, there are uh, some problems here and there, is what I heard from the field, but still, uh, you know, a huge chunk of work has been done, and uh, even FIFA is quite happy with their... Um, with the progress and all those things. So, at this last moment, I don't really expect it uh, moving out of Kochi, but uh, if that happens, I think a lot of hearts will be broken and uh, a lot of uh, football fans are going to, you know, really blame this government, so, uh, the Kerala government. So, I think they'll actively step in and do something about it. (laughs) I think it will will kind of sum up uh, the mess that Kerala football has been in all these years if if they are stripped out of the... So, I mean, I think um, for the World Cup, uh, uh, there's a lot of factors, I think, because um, the local football associations probably are not getting used uh, a lot. So, I think most of them are like, uh, in a, um, we don't have anything to do with this kind of an attitude. That is, uh, I mean, from a lot of places, we have heard this from Goa, we have uh, seen what has happened in uh, Guwahati. Uh, with the LOC yeah. and uh, 
So I think there's a general gripe that uh, you know these people are uh, who have been uh, the custodians of football in, in these states have not been engaged, and a lot of work is being done directly by the LOC and things like that. Um, so I just read a comment from uh, the Kerala Football Association General Secretary also while I was skimming through the news for this. Uh, a particular stadium issue and he has outrightly said that we are not involved in this this is somebody else who is doing this uh, that is entirely upon gcda whether they had to issue a notice to for the shops to move out it is not our area at all this is raising their hand getting out of all the trouble <laughs> so, yeah everybody is trying to uh, kind of you know <laughs> yeah yeah pin the blame of blame on others well if Kochi ends up losing the match, I don't know what will happen to that sold out Kochi, uh, the stadium for the Spain versus Brazil game. What I hear is it's already been sold out. <laughs> oh, okay. You'll be on your way for that game. Well, while Kochi has been in a mess and there are problems surrounding all the stadiums, all the host venues in India, but the stadiums slowly but steadily are, look, are turning out to be a really good prospe- prospects for the World Cup, isn't it? Looking beautiful, the renovated ones. Uh, yeah, actually, um, I think the challenge now would be uh, to think what will happen to these uh, stadiums and the uh, other infrastructure after the World Cup. I think there will have to be an active follow-up from the uh, state associations or at least from the AIFF to keep these things in order because I'm seriously concerned about uh, the training grounds even though uh, the FIFA LOC is claiming that it is going to be legacy and um, a lot of people are going to get... Uh, uh, well, legacy in India has never been good. Uh, but I seriously doubt it. Uh, whether uh, these local authorities who are owners of these things uh, is going to maintain these. Um, at least the stadiums, I hope, uh, because regular football matches now with uh, two leagues and things like that, uh, some kind of maintenance might uh, go on. But uh, we'll have to see what will happen to these training pitches because they have invested quite a bit in th- those as well. Uh, if you see, they have uh, you know installed floodlights, good turf, and all those things. So uh, pretty much good amount of money is being spent over there as well. So the real challenge will be to know <laughs> what will happen to these after the World Cup. <laughs> Absolutely right. Me, especially when you talk about the legacy program for this uh, stadiums, where, and you take Delhi as an example, uh, while the Jawaharlal Nehru Stadium will be engaged in other sporting activities, what about the other pitches, the training grounds? Do you have enough football and tournaments and activity in Delhi to keep these grounds engaged? Uh, not really, but uh, see, Delhi, the local football structure is kind of dead. I've been here for the last two years and I haven't really seen a very, very active local football league. Uh, gradually, there are there are clubs coming up and they're trying to show some seriousness. But uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, one of the senior office bearers of the Delhi Football Association is kind of facing sexual harassment charges right now. So, so it's, it's pretty messed up there. Uh, but at the same time, one good thing that I've noticed in Delhi is because everything comes under the state, gov- uh, the central government, under the Sports Authority of India, they keep all these stadiums open for uh, normal public. So, for example, right now I I use the stadiums that were built for uh, the CWG, 
to play tennis and badminton for uh, 60 rupees for one hour. Well, and you're talking to a fit guy here. Uh, yeah, look at me and you'll have an idea how fit I am. <laughs> tennis uh, and badminton says that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I said I play, but I never said I play well. <laughs> I just stand there and I do something. <laughs> But I'm guessing that uh, you know they. I mean, I I hope they do something similar with the football pitch because right mm-hmm. now, if you want to play a five-a-side football match, there aren't many places in Delhi. Okay. Whereas in Bombay or or even in Bangalore, I guess there are plenty Absolutely. of clubs mushrooming all over the malls and multiplexes and right. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Delhi, you have to go to some god-forsaken god-forsaken place uh, in in South Delhi, where you know, I mean, the chances of you getting mugged are more rather than nutmegging someone. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, I hope I hope they use these facilities for for these things and and kind of create a football culture in Delhi, uh, well, which which neither the I League or ISL has managed to do. Well, nutmeg or not, uh, one thing is for certain that Delhi will have some some footballing action with ISL coming in. Delhi Dynamo is continuing another season in the ISL. But another news that is coming in from ISL is that there is there is a plan being floated that the reserves team of this ISL franchise is could. Feel those teams in the lower divisions of the league. Only uh, coming to you with this, a good idea to engage and keep the reserve teams also busy at the national level. Um, see, on the whole, it looks like a good idea. But uh, what I feel is like uh, right now, um, I think very few teams have a reserve team as of now. I mean, like if you look at KBFC, they have some players. They have said that will be part of the reserves. I think Bangalore FC will have because they have been participating in the under 18 and things like that, under 18 league and uh, things like that. So they might have some of their boys graduating and some um, other players um, which they have signed as reserves. So it's a good plan. Um, on the whole when you look at it it's a good plan because these players who might not get a chance to play in the ISL can actually keep them fit and play some matches in second division but uh, it all depends on how many of these teams are going to actually have a reserve side uh, i still don't think a lot of them will have uh, probably pune fc and uh, a couple of more of them more of them might just have it for the season um further going on um going forward i guess uh, more teams will join and at that time it will be a much better affair i guess right me uh, unu just made a point that not many teams have reserves team as of today uh, go, uh do you think this idea floated by the aiff is a way to ensure that there are enough teams participating in the lower divisions so so basically uh, yeah i mean aiff really needs to sort its its house out i mean they come across right now as pretty clueless as to what's happening what what shape the indian domestic structure will will take i mean they will come they've been coming up with new plans almost every week whether it's fielding the under 17 team in the i league sending them to china sending them to portugal then they come up with this plan of isl teams you know sending their reserve teams uh, the fact is that we are kind of overcomplicating the whole thing over here uh, you know i mean the basic thing is whether you have good teams or you don't uh, right now whether it's the isl or id if if one team is is short of two players because of injuries they don't have enough replacements so the entire talk of having an entire reserve team uh, is pretty much uh, it doesn't make sense to me because it it's it's going to lack quality uh, 
all right i mean i get one point that you know some players might get some playing time and all but again uh, i mean if you look at the overall picture it's just a matter of filling numbers if it's just a matter of making numbers and ensuring they have a minimum quota of teams to conduct the league uh, so someone at the aff really needs to put their foot down and say that this is our plan for the league and this is how we are going to go about it i mean as as fans and journalists we can moan about whatever img reliance is doing to indian football but right now they have the higher moral ground uh, they can come up and say that look uh, our reserve teams are playing in the i league which is why i league is taking place first of all and that is the position that aiff does not want to be if it wants to be seen as a very very serious stakeholder in indian football right now absolutely right well uh, will aiff do its bit or not well only time will say but right now i am run out with uh, run out with my rundown guys nothing more to add to this episode of injury time thanks a lot for joining me uh, uni and me thank you navin thank you uni nice being here yeah thank you navin and thank you mayor it was nice talking to you guys and uh, once again thank you for inviting me to the injury time podcast thanks a lot thanks a lot for joining us Th- thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of injury time like let me just remind you all we are on twitter it's uh, our twitter handle is called injury time ind and you can find us on facebook at injury time until we bring you the next episode of injury time have a great week and enjoy the game